Well, we're in this series that we've entitled Disruptive Discipleship, and it's on the Sermon on the Mount that I'm arguing is the greatest sermon the world has ever heard. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and if you didn't pick up a note sheet on the way in, you can get up and grab one from the tables there online. Your host can direct you accordingly. But we've been looking at some amazing themes, right, through this sermon over the last several weeks. We've been looking about Jesus' invitation is extended to anyone at any time from any background. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. It doesn't matter how far away you felt like you strayed. Jesus is opening up an invitation in this sermon for anyone at any time. And he, then He invites us into a life where He says you can actually learn how to love your enemies. Remember that discussion? And then to talk about worry and anxiety, and we talked about lust, and last week we talked about His Word to cancel culture. It's all these different… It's an amazing sequence of words, and He lands the plane, the closing paragraphs of the Sermon on the Mount I'm calling the spirituality of choice. It's an unbelievable thing to think about for a moment. As a human being, part of being a person is being endowed with the capacity to choose. And today, I want us to enter in with Jesus and to think, what are my choices making? Because I think at the end of the run, you're going to say, life really is about choices, and the choices you make, make you. And Jesus knows that we're going to be filled in an environment of choices. Like, I, I did some research, and did you know that when you go to the grocery store, you're thrust into 39,000 different items to sift through. Did you know that? Now, that was pre-COVID, I think. I don't know about you, right? You go there, and it's like, that used to be there, and you ask the work, what, worker and say, hey, any chance this is actually going to be restocked, and what's the response you get? No, COVID. It's kind of like when I'm calling any customer service line right now today, and, and you know, in the customer service, you're on hold, and you're on hold, and they say, sorry, our wait times are really, really long due to COVID-19. And I'm sitting there going, no, actually, your wait times were exceedingly long pre-COVID-19, and they're just exceedingly long post-COVID-19. Anybody else feeling that? So when you go to the grocery, and sometimes you feel super exhausted at the end of the grocery, it's the fatigue of sifting through the pile of decisions, 39,000 today. In 1976, that same grocery store was stocked with 9,000 items. You see, there's a, there's a fatigue factor. There's an energy required to choose wisely. And so that's why Jesus lands the sermon with these, basically, He's got two roads, two gates, two trees, two houses. Choose you this day. Two roads, two gates, two trees, two houses. Engage your will and exercise the spirituality of choice is the thrust of where we're headed today. And we're going to look at this through three calls. We're going to look at a call to narrow spaciousness. And then we're going to look at a call to wise assessment. And then thirdly, a call to decision. So the first one, narrow spaciousness, as the rents so well read today, verse 13 of Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And how many enter through it? Many enter through it. So back in 2017, when I visited Israel, I snapped this picture 
I was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I was taking a picture across to the eastern, kind of, I wanted to get the skyline there, and I didn't realize, actually, in the lower part, you see the wall there? There's a really large gate known as the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. And if you spend any time in and around Jerusalem, you'll find that the paths kind of channel you towards the large and broad gates. This is what Jesus is tapping on. He's saying, you see, there's a natural flow to kind of human history that leads you to the broad road and the wide gate, but it's not the only way into the city. There are other ways into the city. They're actually quite small and hidden and out of the way. Jesus would call them the narrow way. It's not just the broad way, because there's this pull, right, this part part of our fallen and human condition is we're just pulled to kind of make life all about ourselves. The broad road is filled with kind of an ethic that goes, I want to do what I want, how I want, whenever I want. I want to be the judge and jury over this small brief story of my life. That's the broad way. That's the wide gate. But it's not the only way, Jesus said. There's another way to live, but you're going to have to search for it. It's not the easiest way. It's not the most obvious way. You're going to have to look for it. It's small and it's narrow, but that narrow passageway, as the text said, leads to an expansiveness called life. It's an unbelievable kind of play on words that Jesus is using with this narrow gate and wide road picture. It's like, do you see in in the text how I put in your notes, there's a spaciousness, wide road, that leads to spiritual destruction. Like, run the tape out. Where does this road lead? In the end, you probably don't want to be on that road. That's what he's saying. It's spacious. It looks spacious now, but in the end, it actually ends in narrowness, destruction. But there's another road that's narrow, but it leads to what? An expansiveness, a spaciousness called spiritual life. Do you see that? A spaciousness that leads to narrowness and a narrowness that leads to spaciousness. It reminded me of, you guys know C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the last book's called The Last Battle. There's a scene where the good King Tyrion's in some big battle. He's in a scene where it looks like he's going to get wiped out. He sees this small little stable on a hill, and he's pretty much resigned himself to go into that stable and die because the troops are just going to come in and kill him is what he's thinking. He walks into the stable, though, and this little small stable, when he walks in, it just opens up, and there's forests, and there's mountains, and there's lakes, and it's just so different on the inside than it appeared on the outside. And Lewis, as only C.S. Lewis can do, he writes this line. I put this in your notes. It seems that the stable seen from without and the stable seen from within are two different places. Yes, a voice said, its inside is bigger then it's outside. Church, that's the gospel. That's the life that Jesus is inviting you into. Hey, on the outside, it doesn't look so spectacular. It kind of looks like a small little stable, but if you step into it, it's going to lead you into an expansiveness that he calls life. It's what the, it's what the Old Testament talked about. In Psalm, 30, in Psalm 18, it says, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me. Psalm 31, you've set my feet in a spacious place. But Jesus says, yes, we want to get to that expansiveness and that spacious place that he calls true life, the life you're really looking for. But Jesus says the way to there is narrow. And hear this, it's narrow 
because it's Jesus-shaped. That's why it's narrow. It's Jesus-shaped. There's only one way, there's only one gate shaped in the life of Jesus of Nazareth that leads you to the life you're really looking for. That's what he's saying. See, wide is the road and broad is the path that's going to lead you down all the other roads. You've got to look for it. It's not going to be the easiest way. It's not going to be the obvious way. But when you find it, you're like King Tyrion. You open up this little stable and just, whoo, it's inside. It's bigger than it's outside. And Beth, I thought about that with your dad, you know, this week. I thought your dad got like a front row seat. As hard as it was for all of you to have to say goodbye, you were there at his bedside. And do you, can you picture that moment when he crossed from this life? He didn't go from life to death, right? You from life to life. And he probably went, oh, I mean, I mean, he knew the kingdom of God was great, but I'm telling you right now, he's like, oh, he's, he opened up that stable door and, and for all of eternity, right? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because Beth's father had found the narrow gate. He had walked through the narrow gate. He'd resisted the pull to the broad road. He chose to go the Jesus-shaped way, and he responded to this call of narrow spaciousness. He found it opening up to a life. And Jesus dropped the mic moment now for all his hearers. They're sitting around doing this. They're like, there isn't any rabbi who talks like this. No rabbi. No rabbi says these things. Because Jesus is actually saying to his hearers, you no longer have to just be devoted to the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. His hearers would be, know the Torah, live the Torah, find true life. That was the general, we talked about this before in an earlier part of the sermon, right? Know the Torah, obey the Torah, find true life. Jesus says, actually what I'm calling you to is a devotion to the one who embodies the Torah now. Jesus is claiming allegiance to him and his teachings is the pathway to true life, and it's narrow, and you got to look for it. And if you don't find it, you're going to be finding yourself on the broad road through the wide gate, and you want to run the tape out and think this through. And where does that road lead? So the first call he offers in this closing part of the Sermon on the Mount is, hey, what road are you on? What gate are you going through? Have you found the narrow Jesus-shaped gate? And it looks small, it looks inconspicuous, a little obscure, and when you cross into it, oh, its inside is way bigger than its outside. Which then thrusts us into the second call, a call to wise assessment, because he uses this analogy in verse 15, he says, watch out. Watch out for false prophets. That's kind of Bible terminology for people who give the appearance of spiritual life and spiritual leadership, but on the inside are just kind of all messed up. I don't know if you've been around church circles or religious circles at all, and you ever run into someone who maybe is doing a bunch of stuff in Jesus' name that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus? If you hang out in church for any length of time, you'll run into that. And there's a whole bunch of stuff done in the name of religion that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. And here's the tension. We have a tendency to toss Jesus out based on abuses done in His name. And Jesus is like, hey, be very careful, very careful. Don't toss me out just because a bunch of people in my, in, in my name did some stuff like right here, dressing up in sheep's clothing, but on the inside are like ferocious wolves, right? It's someone who can give the appearance of spiritual they can have the vocabulary of church, the terminology of Christianity, can know some doctrines, can maybe look the part and speak the part. And Jesus is like, you got to wisely assess 
Don't just settle for someone what they're saying. Say, well, how do you determine it then? I'm glad you asked. How do you know what to pay attention to? He says it in the next verse. By their what? Their fruit, you will recognize them. Fruit is a New Testament term for the inward quality of a person's life. Remember Galatians 5 when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit. It's the kind of person you are. Jesus says, here's what you want to wisely assess. Not are they saying all the right things. Because we can do that in church circles. We're like, oh, they say all the right things. Jesus like, hey, be careful. It's not just what someone says. Because what did he say? Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, which by the way, that's Jesus' way of emphasizing. Lord, Lord. Like, hey, everyone who's like, they're really good at it. You know, maybe they've got like the big thick study Bible or they've got the, you know, in God we trust license plate and the fish on the back of the bumper. No, those things aren't bad. I'm just saying, you can't just go off of that just because they got that. Just because they say, Lord, Lord, with their outside, Jesus says, you got to look at the fruit, the inward quality, the character of the life. You see that? And don't just get settled on that. And don't get swept up on someone doing like spectacular ministry, spiritual work done in His name. Sometimes that can sweep us up, right? If you flip on Christian TV for any length of time, and I'm sure there's some good things on there, but I have to fast from Christian TV. Otherwise, I just don't, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on sometimes on those. There's all kinds of like displays of spectacular ministry something. And what did He say? Not everyone who, you remember that in the next verse, what did He say? Not everyone who, pro- didn't we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? Like, Jesus, we did all this like spectacular ministry with results. He said, I don't know who you are. See, we got we to gotta press beyond just what are we saying with our words or what are we displaying and how we look or carry ourselves or even some spectacular ministry results. You got to wisely assess below the surface of someone's life because you can't just tie a bunch of good deeds on a bad tree. Tying good deeds on a bad tree, does that make it a good tree? That wasn't a trick question, actually, so I'm going to try that again. So tying a bunch of, like, really good deeds on a bad tree, does that make it a good tree? No. A good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And by your fruit, you're going to recognize them. So the assessment here, what are you planted in? What's your life? Are you planted in the soil of Christ's life? Well, how will you know that? Your life will reflect Christ's character. What does that look like? The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not perfectly. We're all in process. We're not always going to get it right. But the general trajectory of a Christian's life should reflect the quality and characteristics of Christ. I guess that's playing pastor obvious a little bit, isn't it? But that's what the word Christian means, little Christ. And you have to wisely assess the inward quality of someone's life, and don't get caught up by external and be enamored with what it looks like or sounds like or appears like. One commentator said it this way, how close to spiritual reality one may come while knowing nothing of its fundamental character. Some of you, that statement is representative of your church upbringing. Some of you were a part of so many church services that religion and Bible was beat into you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other night the church was open. 
You know exactly what I'm talking about. You were there when the church doors were open, and you locked them up to close it up. And everywhere in between, the challenge was in the midst of that environment, though I'm sure there were some really good things, there was a vast number that maybe just were caught up in what Jesus is saying here. The listeners around him, not just the day laborers, they're also the religious leaders who were listening in. And what did they look like? They had the big flowing robes. They had the stack of, of Old Testament laws. They had all the part. They looked the part. They sounded the part. And Jesus says, you're missing one thing, the life. Because sometimes you can get so close to the furniture of the gospel and miss the true essence of the life that Jesus offers. And maybe that's your story and your background, and you're welcome here. Come and be a part of this community. We're all on a journey together to learn authentically the kind of community and life that Jesus has invited us into. And maybe it's well represented in your religious background. Praise God. My experience is there's a fair amount of it. We've got to unlearn some pretty unhealthy things and get Jesus to kind of retrain us in His true vision for the life He's really offering And it's not always how it's been clothed with all the previous religious furniture. Because you can get around all the furniture and miss the true invitation. So you got two roads, two gates, two trees. A call to narrow spaciousness, a call to wise assessment. Where you look at, what road am I on? Where does this road lead? What's my tree planted in? The good tree bearing good fruit. What, what? And then that moves us to the third call in his closing part. He's a call to decision. And he uses this picture of two homes, two houses. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he goes on to say, everyone who hears these words of mine and who does not put them into practice is like a foolish man, foolish person who built their house on sand. And then he goes on to describe when the waves and the wind and the rains came, one house stood firm and strong and steadfast on the rock, and the other fell with a great crash. So here's the press to decision that he makes. He says, both the house on the rock and the house on the sand both heard Jesus' words. But what was the gap? They both heard Jesus' words, but the one on the rock did what? Put it into practice. The one on the sand, in the language of James 1, heard Jesus' words and walked away and acted like they never really never listened. They just walked away and did their own thing. So it wasn't that they weren't here. You see the indictment of Jesus? Like Jesus, there's no, there's no teacher like Jesus. I mean, He is pressing this crowd. There were not a lot of amens at this point of the sermon from the religious circles around there. Because he's basically pressing them to say, there is no lack of hearing. You're carrying around all your religious law. You're hearing God's Word. The problem is you're not hearing what I'm saying about how to put this into practice. Because there's something in the human condition that at the core of our being wants to figure out a way to save ourselves. We just want to save ourselves. You could bundle a lot of religions around this like this. It's different ways of people trying to figure out how to save themselves. And the call, the decision in Jesus' sermon here is this. You're going to, am I going to go the way of saving myself, which he would call it the broad road and the wide gate? Run the tape out. Where does that road go? Jesus says, where it goes is it's a house of cards built on sand. 
Which, by the way, both houses at the time, they looked very similar until what? Until the storm comes. Dallas Willard says, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. And that's what happened. When you're going down the wrong road, when you're on the broad road and the wide gate, and the storms and the wind and the waves come, and the foundation gets swept away, you run into reality right there. And Jesus is asking us today, think this through. Run the tape out. The choice is this. You got to decide, I'm going I'm to go my way and figure out how to save myself, or I'm going to be a person who chooses that Jesus is the only one who can do it. Jesus is the only one. It's a narrow gate. He's the only one who can deal with this. And that's the call to decision. You got to kind of sift through it that way, which in your mind you think, well, that's why he uses the term broad road. Like broad road, there's a lot, there's a lot of people in a broad road category. Like there's a lot of people in church on the broad road. I mean, it's easy to get broad road. And there's a lot of people in various religions on the broad road. There's a lot of people with no religion on the broad road. That's what Jesus, broad road, wide gate, the natural flow is just going that way. But think this through because what's the ending point of that broad road? Did you catch it in verse 22 when he says, on that day? What's that mean? On, verse 22, on that day, they will, they will say to me, that day. That's the Old Testament day of the Lord reference. That's Bible speak for, hey, at some point, there's an end point. It's when God's going to set everything right. There's a reconciliation of all things there. On that day, I like to think of that day is when what's real is what will be left. When what's real was be what's left. That's that day. And on that day, notice what the text says. Jesus says, you'll say to me. Oh, how, don't miss that, church. That, what's Jesus saying? Every single person with breath of life in their lungs has a meetup with Jesus. Everybody. You're going to say to me, Jesus said. Everybody. It's a one-on-one with Jesus. You're going to say to me on that day. And here's Jesus saying, hey, you don't have to wait till that day, till the end. You can choose to meet me now in grace, which I will argue in a moment here, you want to choose now in grace because you don't want to stand before him at the end on your own merits. That's the broad road and the wide gate. And you're not going to like where the end point is. That's why he uses the term destruction. Because on our own merits, if you're convinced you're going to save yourself and you're going to stand before him someday, because but you will stand before Jesus. That's what he's saying. Every single person, whether you claim Christ or not, you're going to stand and have a meetup with the resurrected Christ. And on that day, what's the conversation going to be? Jesus says, called decision. Are you going to talk about the wide road and the broad gate? Are you going to talk about the good tree or the bad tree? Are you going to talk about the house on rock or the house on sand? Because the essence of the gospel is this, <laughs> the, the life that Jesus offered. He said, hey, Simpson, you brought nothing to the table to warrant the life I'm offering you. Which, by the way, that's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's grace. Simpson, you brought nothing to the table but yourself. You brought it in all your mess and brokenness and sin and everything else. You brought that. And here's what Jesus says, 
I give you, I'll give you my perfect record. Bible term is righteousness. I'll give you my righteousness, my right living. I'll apply it to you. I'll put it on your account. I'll adopt you and save you and forgive you and redeem you, and I'll set your feet on a rock and commission it to live for me. I will do that part. That's called the gospel. It's when the New Testament calls it being born again. It's when you make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to abandon the path of trying to save myself, and I'm going to choose Christ. I'm going to say, you know what, I'm pushing all my chips to the center of Jesus' table. I'm all in with Jesus because no one's said the things that Jesus has said. No one's done the things that Jesus has done. His tomb is still empty. The cross was still, is still sufficient. I'm all in with him. There's only one whom I've ever met who says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. John 8, 51, that's Jesus. I don't know anyone who says that. Jesus, I'm in with you. And Jesus says, that's the narrow gate. It's narrow because it's Jesus-shaped. That's planting your tree in the good soil. That's choosing to build your house on the rock. Certainly not perfectly, but you have to engage the will. Do you see where Jesus lands his sermon? It's not just enough, church, to hear these words and to come and to listen to sermons or listen to podcasts. Or It's not just enough to hear it. We have to engage and make a decision. At some point, to be a true Christian means it's got to get personal. It's not just enough to know about him. You've got to know him. This is a transition from sand to rock. Just know him. You say, how do you do that? You've got to step off the broad road. You got to turn away from the wide gate. You got to go the narrow gate that's Jesus shaped. And you got to hear his words and begin to live them and put them into practice. And you don't just do that once. You keep doing like each day. You just get up the next day and you keep pressing forward with his help down his road and his way. And you run the tape out on that. And Jesus says, when you do that, you'll say to me on that day. To me. You won't be staring at a stranger then, you'll be staring at your resurrected Savior whom you've come to know quite well in grace in these days. And so worship team, why don't you come back up? Here's how I'm going to close things up this morning. Ted, you can go ahead and put that picture up. Last Saturday, so, several of you joined me at Zionsville United Methodist Church where we had a memorial service for Dominic Orlando Lazama. Dominic and his wife, Tina, and their two kids, Grace and Austin, we've been neighbors with them for 17 years. They live two houses down from us. They were in a trip, Destin, Florida, fall break a few weeks ago, nine o'clock in the morning on the way home, car crosses the center line, and Tina she replayed the details of those last moments, and she watched her husband, fully aware, fully alert, take his hands and turn directly to receive the full impact of the blow of the vehicle on his side. And she stood last Saturday before her friends and family, hundreds and hundreds of them who gathered, and said she watched her husband take yet one more step of sacrifice on behalf of his whole family. And then Austin Freshman in high school stood up and spoke to the gathering. And then Grace, senior in high school, stood up and spoke to the gathering. And those of you who are there, you know, you don't forget those moments. 
And as we were planning for the memorial service, and I was sitting with Tina, and she said, Eric, Dominic shared his testimony at our church, Salem. They're a part of Salem Church there on Kissel Road. In 20, Easter 2014, Dominic shared his testimony. She contacted the church, and they found a recording. What a gift. It's like 12 minutes long, and it was, it was Dominic in his own words telling his life story. He was born and raised in Belize, that country down in the Caribbean. He tells the story where when his father-in-law, Tina's dad, would introduce him around the community here in Zionsville, he'd say, hey, this is Dominic. He's not from around here. He's not from around here. Well, Dominic kind of used that little phrase, and he built that and wove that into his whole story. And so at the end of the memorial service, Tina and the family asked that Dominic get the last word, and they clipped the last sentence off of his testimony. And here were the words from his own voice. He said, my name is Dominic Orlando Lazama. I'm not from around here, but I found my true home. And church, in that setting, last Saturday, with that group of people at that time, had never landed with more spiritual power in that moment. I'm not from around here, but I found my true home. And to watch the tears stream down Tina's face and Grace and Austin, and to stare at a 50-year-old man who from our, our seat is way too young, way too early. Lord, we don't understand. We can't, why this, why now? But to hear Dominic in his own words tell the journey of going from this kid in Belize to meeting Jesus of Nazareth and beginning to walk with him and try to be a husband and father that honors him. And anyone who knew him well spoke about it. You know, as a pastor, when you drive away from those kind of settings, it just kind of levels the ground on decisions of life. You know, we all wrestle around with stuff that's pressing on our agendas and decisions we got to make, but church... Last Saturday, driving away from that church, it was never clearer to me than ever, as ever before. There's one decision that stands head and shoulders above every other decision. And that's who you say Jesus is. There's a lot of really important decisions to make in life, but I think there's this one. It's a call to narrow spaciousness. What road you on? Run the tape out on that road. Is it the wide road? Think it through. Think about the tree. What's it planted in? Think about the house. Rock or sand. Call to wise assessment. A call to decision. And would you join me today, like with Dominic, and with a level of certainty, just say yes to Jesus. Wherever you're at, that could be like a first yes. It could be a thousand yes. Just say yes. Because he's fully trustworthy to take your life and lead it into an expansiveness that he calls true life. I'm really what you're looking for. Let's pray. So, Lord, we just want to take a moment and pray for the Lazama family in these moments and think of Tina and Grace and Austin, no doubt, gathering over there at 
little Salem church in the Kissel and no doubt gathering with tears of sorrow and joy flowing mingled down like the old hymn says. Would you comfort them? Would you carry them? Would you strengthen them? Thank you for a life and a legacy that he's left. Thank you that Dominic, because he died in Jesus, that he rises with you, just like Beth's father from life to life. There's no one who holds the keys but you to that. And so today as I close, I just want to give you an opportunity, you know, in quietness, your own heart. You know what road you're on. Maybe it's kind of a little assessment time right now and just think it through. And you can choose Jesus right now. You can just say yes. Say, Jesus, I choose you. Here's my life. I may not fully understand what it is that you're going to do with this life, but I choose you. I trust you. I give my life to you. Forgive me for my sin. Here I am, Jesus. Save me. And maybe you've done that before, but today is one of those like, yeah, you remember going through the narrow gate and saying yes, but boy, it's gotten a lot of distraction and maybe kind of drifted back to some of the wide road stuff. And today you could just say, I'm just going to come back. Say, Jesus, I'm just going to say yes to you again and again and again. Say yes. And assess what you're planted in. And maybe today is exposing some foundational stuff. Maybe it's been too much sand-like stuff. Hearing the words and kind of walking away and just not putting them into practice. Just say yes, Jesus, I'm going to come back to listen and submit myself to you and to your word and to your ways, and I want you to lead me to true life. Just say yes. Because in a sense, this life isn't our true home. I'm not, we're not from around here. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven, and that's where we really belong. And it's a Jesus-shaped gate to get there, and you just say yes to him. And so, Jesus, thank you so much for, I believe, the, the most amazing recorded sermon in history. Thank you for preserving these words for us. Here's our lives. Have your way. We pray it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.